This episode is brought to you by The Grinning Goat, Canada's vegan fashion boutique with a storefront in Calgary and an online store that ships across Canada and worldwide. As a Paw and Order podcast listener, you can save 15% on your entire purchase at grinninggoat.ca simply using the code PAW15 at checkout. This episode is brought to you by Fair Square, your one-stop shop for vegan products online. They offer Canada-wide shipping and donate a portion of each sale to animal sanctuaries and animal rights groups like us. Check them out at fair, that's F-A-I-R hyphen square dot C-A. This is another iRaw podcast. We podcast to make the world a better place for animals. In the Canadian justice system, animals' interests are rarely represented. But the lawyers at Animal Justice fight to give them a voice in court and the political system. This is the Pawn Order Podcast, and these are their stories. Hello and welcome to episode 77 of the Paw and Order podcast. I am your co-host Jessica Scott-Reed and I am joined today by a very special guest co-host, animal justice lawyer, Caitlin Mitchell. Hi Caitlin, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's so exciting to have someone uh, else based in Winnipeg as I am on the show. I don't know how many times we've ever had two co-hosts in the same city doing the show together. I think that's kind of a rare thing. So we get to take over on our Manitoba talk today. I know it's true in Winnipeg nonetheless. It's exciting. Yes, we have lots going on here in this province. I think that we've sort of dominated uh, the news stories in the last few episodes with all that's going on here with Ag Gag. We have even more Manitoba issues to talk about um, on today's show. Later in the show, I'm going to be speaking with Brittany Semeniak, uh, the animal welfare consultant with the Winnipeg Humane Society, about a story that's been uh, in the news here in Manitoba and beyond about six live hens found at the Brady Landfill here in Manitoba. Uh, and we're also going to talk a little bit more about some of the new work being done by the Winnipeg Humane Society. So stay tuned for that later in the show. Um, and also a reminder to leave us a review. You can add to our more than 150 five-star reviews so far. Uh, you can also become a supporter of ours on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Thanks to our newest supporter, Andrew Fenton, and thanks to Andrew L. for generously increasing your pledge. We also have new Patreon prize tiers. At the $5 level, you get a mailed card to say thanks, as always. But now you also get a Pawn Order sticker, too. $20 gets you your choice between an official Pawn Order mug or T-shirt. We also have T-shirts available for everyone now, uh, also at uh, shop.animaljustice.ca. And anyone that supports us at the $10 a month level or more gets a 15% discount at the Animal Justice online store. All right, let's move on to the news, Caitlin. We have a lot going on in the news uh, in Canada and beyond uh, regarding animals and animal activists going to court. Uh, so I think we'll start with the story about uh, Montreal activist uh, Malcolm Klimovich. Uh, he's now been acquitted on his um, trespassing charges. Is that right? 
Yeah. So he, as I understand it, the Crown was actually pushing for stronger charges in this case. They were pushing for break and entering, which is a more serious offense than trespass. And that was basically why the court found that he was not guilty because the court was trying to push for these, or the, the Crown was trying to push for these much stronger charges. Yeah, it's an interesting case. So he, I think it was in 2017, entered a mink farm in Quebec uh, and videoed, uh, recorded, you know, the horrific conditions that these mink were living in. Um, and it's taken a really long time for this this process to go through, right? Like to, to get this end result. It's been years and months of of process, right? Yeah, I, I don't actually know the the time that he entered. I know that he, my understanding from watching the trial and from reading a lot of the, the background on it, my understanding is that he entered a number of different farms mm. and that the one involved here specifically it was in Frontenac Township, which is north of Kingston. Right. So um, he, yeah, he entered these facilities, um, was in approximately 2017 and, and basically he went in there to, to videotape the conditions that the mink were kept in and to try to raise awareness about the cruelty that's inherent in these mink farming operations. Okay. So, right. So it took place in Ontario, but he's from Montreal, but it's a big win for, uh, especially for right now in the, in the climate of how animal activists are being treated. Uh, I think, uh, one of his lawyers, Gary Grill, a good friend of animal justice, uh, made a point of this in the Toronto star saying that this is really sort of normalizing, um, animal activists and the work that we, and they do, uh, in a time when that really needs to be what's going on. Yeah, I think it was a really important victory. I think um, from a legal standpoint, I found it really interesting because, um, you know, the facts weren't really at issue, right? He admitted mm-hmm. that he went into the facilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, he trespassed, right? That's that's not legal. Um, but does that constitute breaking and entering under the criminal code? Well, no, it seems the answer is no. Um, and basically, like, the difference there is that in order to break and enter, you have to be entering... A facility or a house or whatever, you're entering private property, but you're doing so and then you actually commit an indictable offense. So those are mm-hmm. like the most serious offenses or you're entering with the intent of committing indictable offense. Mm. So the question was, well, what's the indictable offense that he committed or intended to commit? And the court found that the Crown did not make out its case that he went in in order to commit mischief. Right. So, right. Mischief, you know, yes. Yeah, so I, I appreciated that the judge... Um, really went through and looked at the evidence about what harm, what alleged harm was caused here. And she agreed it's possible that somebody entering a bank farm in an unauthorized manner could actually pose a biosecurity risk. They could introduce disease to the animals. But she found on the facts of this case that that Malcolm Klimowicz didn't do that. And that in fact, he took some steps not to introduce disease to animals. So I, I found that particularly interesting because a lot of the time that we see public discussions about egg gag laws, what you hear is biosecurity, 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 right? Anyone entering these facilities could cause a danger. And she agreed that you could, but you actually have to look at the facts and ask, well, did they? And the answer here was no. So I think that that was a, a really important finding. 
So very, uh, very good news for him and for uh, for activists in Canada, for for animal activists in general, because we're going to move on to our next news story, which uh, is sort of the opposite uh, in that regard. Uh, so in the United States, Direct Action Everywhere activist Matt Johnson uh, has been charged with trespassing at a pig facility in the first case brought under Iowa's new egg gag law. Uh, so when I, I remember sending this to Camille recently and she said this is going to be a great opportunity for constitutional challenge. Um, what are your thoughts on this story? Yeah, I think when I first looked at it, um, I thought it was really interesting because I think it's a pretty stark example of the difference between a straight up legal issue such as, you know, did you trespass? Did you commit mischief? Versus a state like Iowa that actually has an egg gag law because this is exactly what egg gag laws are intended to do, right? Mm -hmm. Here, it sounds pretty clearly like this individual did not cause any harm. And in fact, from what right. I understand, he just tested a door to see if it was locked. And yet, yes, he could be facing thousands of dollars in fines and two years in jail. So, you know, what the law is really supposed to do, I think, is, is more what happened in the Klimovich case that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. The law is supposed to look and say, okay, what did somebody do? What actual harm did they cause? And, and, you know, what sort of penalty is appropriate based on what sort of harm they caused? Whereas here you have a law that's pretty clearly intended to just penalize any attempt at shedding light on conditions, regardless of whether the person actually caused any harm. Right, right. So what do you think, uh, what's your prediction in the outcome of this one? Oh, well, I'm not an American lawyer, so I hate to speculate, <laughs> but I, I'm hoping that, as you said, yeah. it will uh, provide a good basis upon which to launch another constitutional challenge. The Iowa egg gag laws have already been found unconstitutional, right. but that doesn't right. seem to have stopped the state from continuing to try new methods to, to shut down activists who try to expose conditions on farms. So... You know, hopefully this will just be the groundwork for yet another successful constitutional challenge there based on the First Amendment. It would be really unbelievable and unfortunate to imagine Matt, uh, who I consider a friend of mine, g going to prison up to two years for something as, as I, I don't want to use the word innocent, but, uh, you know, just opening a door, trying to open a door. That's all he did. Yeah, I know. It's pretty shocking. And I mean, I, I feel like that's the main point of ag gag laws is to create a chilling effect because people are right. scared. You should be scared. No one wants to go to jail. So, you know, it's intended to just really shut down anyone who tries to do these sorts of activities. And I think especially based on what he did before, which is when, you know, he planted the camera, as I understand it, inside a barn and caught the really horrific suffering caused yes. ventilation shut down. So, you know, no wonder they want to keep him out of these facilities. Look what happened last time. He, he showed that. That's a really good point. Yeah, because that story ended up going quite far and wide. I wrote about it myself as well uh, for Sentient Media. Uh, that was absolutely horrific and it made uh, a lot of headlines in the news. Um, and something that even I didn't know about, I didn't know that this was uh, something that happened, that um, barns can be shut and pigs can essentially be, they suffocate to death in heat. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable that that is an acceptable way of on-farm culling of animals. And uh, uh, it's only thanks to Matt that I learned about it and that so many people learned about it. Uh, but yeah, you're right. That's exactly why they're trying so badly to shut him down, I think. Yeah. And I think um, even if you did know about it, like I kind of, at that time, that's when I was just starting to learn about it myself with COVID and mm -hmm. you know, the slaughterhouse is being shut down. I was starting right. to learn like what is depopulation? What does it involve? So I, I sort of had like an academic understanding of what 
ventilator shutdown was, but yeah, the right. good point. shows what it's really like. And it's horrific. That's a really good point. Yeah. To actually see it. Yeah. Because to see it in writing, you know, when I was researching it and I saw it, I think it was the American Veterinary Association or whatever the acronym is that actually had it in writing saying that this was a permitted way to depopulate on farms, but then to see the video. Oh my goodness. So in that way, we're grateful to, to Matt and activists like Matt who do this kind of work. Yeah. So speaking of which, here in Manitoba, you and I have been very busy uh, trying to advocate against egg-gag laws here that would essentially help to cover up um, cruelty of the same sort. Uh, and you were interviewed by the Winnipeg Free Press uh, just last week. Was it last week or this week? It was on Saturday, yeah, just this past okay, week. Okay, on the weekend, yeah. So um, that we're talking about uh, egg-egg bills that are pending here that uh, violate charter rights. Uh, you and a number of lawyers uh, came together on this messaging. Yeah, it was... Um it was really thanks to a number of constitutional law experts other mm. than me, which is really helpful. Um, these are just, you know, law professors and constitutional law experts from across Canada who penned this letter to the Manitoba Ministers of Agriculture and Justice saying that Bill 62, which is our proposed egg-gag law, that it could violate Manitobans' charter rights. So I'm really grateful that those people sent the letter because... Um, I think it helps to have mm-hmm. you know, experts who are not affiliated with animal protection groups speaking out and, and also raising these concerns because you know I think this is this is an issue that touches people and animals obviously across the province um, and it's not just an issue that should be concerning to animal protection advocates. So right. um, yeah, so I was really happy to see the letter going and I was really happy that um, that in their article, the Free Press interviewed uh, Karis Whipple from the Canadian Civil Liberties Association and also Sam Trosso, who's a law professor at Windsor, or sorry, mm-hmm. Western University. Yeah, it's always great to get additional voices. Um, I find too, if ever I'm writing about these things, I try not to involve just my voice or even just animal justice's voice, but I try to get some on the outside as much as I can. Uh, I know in this case, there's been some journalism, free speech advocates who are also taking this up as an issue in Manitoba um, and beyond in in other provinces as well, um, because it does affect more than just uh, people who care about animals and the animals. There's a lot of other aspects of freedom. Um, that the majority of the public should be concerned about if they were made aware of how dangerous this could be to the freedom of expression, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the point that that, um, Kara and Sam made in the article too is important, which is, you know, we have this like notion of agricultural exceptionism, like this industry gets some sort of special shielding from the public or some sort of, you know, special treatment in other ways. But their point was like, well, what happens when other industries start asking for the same thing. Where does this end? Because it could really be a slippery slope for expression rights. That is a very good point. That is a very good point. And our next news story, which we're going to just talk briefly here because we're going to let uh, Brittany discuss it with us more, is really one of the a great example of why egg-egg laws here in Manitoba or anywhere uh, would be so dangerous. Um, so this was the story about six 
live hens who were found amongst thousands of dead hens at the Brady landfill here in Manitoba last week. This is not the first time this has happened. So this happened, uh, I mean, and, and who knows how many times it's happened without yeah. them being spotted. So this is the, the second time I know that it's happened. I wrote about it for the free press uh, and for Sentia Media, for Tenderly Magazine, anybody who would let me last summer when two hens now know, named uh, Lola and Phoenix were also found at the Brady landfill. Um, but at that time, uh, egg farmers of Manitoba didn't acknowledge this. And so it was, it was not able to become a big news story. This time they put out a statement, which we've all seen about how devastated they were, <laughs> uh, laughable. Um, and so it was able to get much more news traction. Sadly, yesterday, uh, one of the six hens, one named Pearl, who had been under the care at the the good place animal sanctuary has passed away. Um, the neglect her body suffered and I'm speculating, but perhaps the after effects of likely the gas that she endured was just too much for her body to handle. So we're going to let Brittany tell more of the story of how this all happened. Um, and what the Winnipeg Humane Society is, um, is saying about it. And, uh, how do you think this is going to play into the egg gag pending egg gag bills here in Manitoba? Do you think it will have an effect? Yeah, I think it's hard to say. I mean, because the egg egg law here is more narrow than some of the other mm -hmm. laws we've seen. So it really is, uh, well, I mean, it's, it covers a few things, but the main things for me are that, you know, it tries to shut down protests near the trucks. And yes, the trucks, it also yeah. makes it an offense to give an animal food or water in any circumstances, which is pretty mm -hmm. unspeakable as well. So like, it wouldn't directly catch a situation like this where you have an employee whistleblower mm -hmm. who's willing to speak out. But I do think that it is important because it shows, again, mm -hmm. the conditions that industry would rather not be seen by the public, right? It doesn't look yeah. good. Even, you know, people that I've spoken to that are like omnivore friends and family who themselves eat eggs were shocked when I explained this to him mm -hmm. or to them that, you know, not only did this happen in this case, but that, yeah, egg laying hens get dumped in landfills at the end of their lives sometimes when they're not turned mm -hmm. into food, you know, and, and so people are shocked, not just from the animal welfare standpoint, but from the waste standpoint. So I think this type of situation, how terrible it is, obviously, um, can also be helpful because it, it shows the public that there's questions to be raised about standard practices and that we should know what's going on behind the closed doors of industrial farms and slaughterhouses. Yeah. And that way, I, I think you're right. I think it's more helpful uh, to our situation just to speak of uh, the lack of transparency. My initial column about the first two found uh, before the language of the bills came out uh, used sort of this story of the two first hands as a vehicle to discuss sort of uh, the lack of transparency in the industry in general. But you're right. I think it's important to make a distinction that different from other provinces, um, the bills here in Manitoba, um, do have some sort of exceptions for whistleblowers and their focus is much more on the trucks, right? Yeah, they don't have like, so Ontario and Alberta both both make it an offense to enter facilities under false pretenses. Manitoba right. doesn't have that language, which is good. Um, but unfortunately, they do have this other language making it an offense to interact with animals, which is pretty broad and could really capture any range of activity that happens near transport trucks. Right, right. So do, so we, we're expecting to hear more about this bill at the end of this month. Is that right? These bills? 
Yeah, the timing um, is not entirely clear to me. I know that committee hearings are supposed to be taking place soon. Um, mm -hmm. I'm registered to speak. You know, a number of people have registered to speak before the committee hearings. Um, so my understanding is I'll hear from them when they have a date, but I haven't heard anything yet. So um, I don't right, know. Well, stay tuned. We will discuss it as soon as we can. You know that uh, I try and keep these management stories here on the Pond Order podcast as much as I can. So thanks yeah. to everybody who keeps interested in what's going on here. Uh, so speaking of which, next up, I'm going to chat with Brittany, uh, the animal welfare consultant at the Winnipeg Humane Society. She's also a veterinary nurse. So she has a lot to talk about in terms of what's going on here in Manitoba and to tell us more about the six hens that were found at the Brady Landfill here in Manitoba coming up next. Have you heard of Fair Square? They're a vegan online store that features a wide variety of Canadian-made and ethically made products. Fair Square is run by vegans for vegans and donates a portion of each sale to animal sanctuaries and animal rights groups. And you get to choose right at checkout who you want to support. So whether you're looking for vegan cheese and meat, snacks, fair trade chocolate, sustainable clothing, gift baskets, or more, Fair Square has it all in one simple shopping experience and ships Canada-wide. You can find them online at fair-square.ca that's f-a-i-r hyphen square dot c-a and as a pawn order listener you can get 15 percent off your next order by using the code aj15 at checkout all right uh, on to our main topic today on pawn order uh, i am chatting with Brittany seminick a animal welfare consultant with the winnipeg humane society and you also work at a veterinary clinic right Brittany? you is it is it a veterinary nurse is that technically your your position there that's right my background is a veterinary nurse or a vet tech um, okay the veterinary profession oh excellent okay so this position you've taken now with the winnipeg humane society it's a fairly new position right is it something that existed before or are you the first so this specific position did not exist before and um kind of going back on my own relationship with the organization i started off with the winnipeg humane society as a, a volunteer um i was getting you know, I, I was realizing what was going on within our province and I wanted to find a way to really bring a lot of change to and advocate for farm animals within our province. Um, and this was probably around 2010, 2011, before there were a lot of these groups that there are now, like the Save Movement um, and a lot of these, um, a lot of these different outlets for advocacy. So I joined on to a committee, a volunteer committee with the Winnipeg Humane Society that was doing a lot of work with advocating against gestation crates. Mm -hmm. um, and then as I got more involved with that committee, I really just ended up throwing everything I had into being a volunteer there. I was basically doing the work of a full-time employee for free <laughs> um, for a few years. And um, that's when we, you know, there were a lot of internal changes that, that occurred with the organization as well that eventually led to the creation of an advocacy department. But, you know, the long story, long story short is that um, we started really doing a lot of groundbreaking things with this committee that weren't being done before. We, we would bring in speakers like Joanne MacArthur um, and Anita Krines did, did a presentation. Um, that's where the, the birth of Winnipeg Veg Fest took place. It right, actually right. began on this handful of, of, you know, dedicated volunteers out of this committee. And then, of course, now it's grown into its own entity in itself. Um, and it just became evident quite quickly that, you know, this work needed to be an actual um, department within the organization. And so I, I presented a, um, a proposal 
to the CEO at the time, basically outlining the need for, for us to have more support with our advocacy efforts and why this would benefit Manitobans and Canadians. And um, so long story short, I've been an employee now with the Winnipeg Humane Society for about three years. Um, and we've done, we've, we've done a lot in ensuring that the Winnipeg Humane Society's mandate um, expands to all animals in our province, not just dogs and cats, and really tries to remind everyone that there are a lot of animal welfare issues that, that deserve recognition. Wow. So really your position um, is sort of just symbolic of the changes that have been going on within the Winnipeg Humane Society. And I think also within the culture of Manitoba, I've been back living in Winnipeg for the last two years and um, coming back after a time away, it's very obvious that the Humane Society is not what it used to be. And like you said, expanding uh, outside of just dogs and cats and pets uh, seems to be something that's really growing within the Winnipeg Humane Society and uh, also partnering, uh, you know, maybe not officially, but you've had um, the SAVE movement come and have uh, talks at the Humane Society, you've had different um, groups and things uh, also working together with you. That's... Um, that's really speaking towards something changing here on the prairies, wouldn't you say? Yes, absolutely. And kind of, you know, what you were saying before, I've, I consider myself a fairly seasoned, you know, activist and animal advocate. And, you know, just thinking back to 2011, which was only 10 years ago, there really, there, there weren't really any of these groups around then. There wasn't right. really any talk about, you know, what was going on behind closed doors and a lot of these, you know, production barns and things like that. And and I don't know exactly how it happened, but there's been some sort of shift. And now there are so many people um, within the province of Manitoba and especially in the city of Winnipeg that really care about these issues. And there is, there's a lot of support about these issues. And I, I fully embrace that. I'm so excited to see that, but something mm -hmm. definitely... Something definitely changed. And again, like I referred to before, there were some internal changes as well, because mm -hmm. there were historically a lot of people that wanted the Winnipeg Humane Society to address these issues. And for a few different reasons, it just wasn't an option. It wasn't approved. It wasn't permitted. Um, so that as well as just a shift in, you know, the the overall environment in Winnipeg has definitely helped us to be able to to address these issues. Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning, too, that um there's a new CEO at the Winnipeg Humane Society. My yeah. old friend, actually, Jessica Miller, we've known each other since I think high school. Uh, oh, she was one so of the cool. Yeah, she's one of the first vegetarians I ever knew uh, for when we were in university together. We actually studied communications together at the University of Winnipeg. Uh, and to see her in this role is so exciting. She's such a progressive and brilliant person. I was so excited to hear it. And I know that we're going to all do great work together in the future going forward. Um, but I know that the Humane Society has also had some pushback. Um, I've written about it in the free press um, when you guys were first starting or when I first started taking notice of these changes. Um, there's been some, you know, farm vets. We won't name, we won't name who, <laughs> but there's been some, some pushback where people think that the Humane Society should stick to dogs and cats. Uh, but, you know, as I've written and as we've seen, this isn't exclusive to the Winnipeg Humane Society. We look at um, the Vancouver Humane Society. We look at the Montreal SPCA. There's a lot of involvement in animal agriculture and animals outside of pets. Uh, so what has it been like dealing with that sort of pushback from perhaps sort of these old school prairie folk? So that's definitely true. Our first, I want to say, year and a half of, of deciding that we're going to take on a lot of these issues, we got a lot 
of we got a lot of pushback from different sides of the spectrum. We had people saying that, you know, we need to, like you said, stick to dogs and cats. This isn't our prerogative. And then we also had people on the other side of the spectrum saying we're not being progressive enough. Um, so it was very hard to find that that middle ground and, and have that balance where we're still um, we're still able to get our concerns across and get the the public without you know losing all funding and losing our donors and right. things like that so it did take, it did take a little bit all things considered to to find that but and for whatever reason we don't get as much pushback now as we did then that could be because people have finally just accepted that this mm-hmm. is a mandate of the organization now and it's not going away this is part right. of our strategic plan um, so I think people that initially might have objected to it have either moved on or they've just come to accept it um, but there is something to be said about how we have approached a lot of these issues. We've been very, um, we've been very planned and very, very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? (laughs) We've been very strategic with how we present a lot of these issues. We try to present them in a very factual way because, you know, we're not here to, to be hyperbolic. The, the statistics speak for themselves. And, you know, we can speak about a lot of these industrial practices that are considered standard industry practices and the public will still understand that this isn't ethical and this isn't right. You know, case in point, horse exportation. So Mm -hmm. we, we try to be very strategic in how we present things. And overall, um, I think there is just a, a shift in the general public that people realize you have to care about farm animals. You have to care about animal welfare in 2021. And we're starting to see other organizations like the Montreal SPCA who are doing the same thing and they're doing yep. it successfully. And I do think that this is just going to be a new reality for a lot of these animal welfare organizations. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, and I hope that that turns out. Uh, I'd be very interested to see how these things progress in, say, Alberta, for example. But we have yet to wait and see how that goes. So I know in your role as an animal welfare consultant with the Winnipeg Community Study, you've been very busy. There's a lot going on in Manitoba. She's, she's rolling her eyes at me right now. <laughs> yes, indeed, I very busy. busy. Some days I feel like busy is an understatement, but yes, that's true. I'm very busy. You're very busy. There's a lot been going on in this province here on the Pond Order podcast. We've been talking a lot about issues in Manitoba, and I'm grateful that uh, Camille and Peter let me continue to dominate the conversation with Manitoba issues. But the one that we've um, talked a little bit about today already that's been keeping you very busy in the media the last week or so is this story about the six live hens found at a landfill here. Uh, It's just outside the city limits, right? Um, The Brady landfill. So I had already mentioned that this isn't the first time that this has happened. Uh, There was two hens found in the summertime, Lola and Phoenix, who are now living lovely lives at the Good Place Sanctuary. Um, I let our listeners know about the unfortunate passing of Pearl yesterday, but let's let's tell them all the story. Um, Maybe you can let our listeners know exactly what happened and how and why this situation happens. Happy to. So um, on April 1st, um, as much as we all probably wanted it to be an April Fool's joke, there was a local rescue, The Good Place, as you mentioned. They received a call from one of the workers at the Brady Landfill who um, basically told them that they had found more live hens. These workers were the ones who previously last year contacted the good place about live hens that had been found. Um, So they contacted the good place, Jen, who is the founder and one of the volunteers, Janine, and they immediately went out, they they dropped everything and they went out to go pick up these hens. And uh, when they got there to the landfill, um, it, it, it was very hard for them not to just 
be completely overwhelmed and brought to tears with what they saw. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize that it is very common in many urban areas and urban cities to have um, livestock brought to the local landfill, not just hens, but we're also talking about, you know, pigs that have been killed, cows that have been killed. Um, some, some cities even have their zoological animals that pass away. They're brought to the landfill. So when they got there, I don't think they expected to see what they saw, which was an abundance mm-hmm. of, of just dead animals as far as the eye could see. And on top of a pile of probably thousands of hens were uh, a few hens that were still, you know, they had some life inside of them, not a lot, they were definitely compromised. Um, but just seeing that scene, which is something that is so hidden away from the public eye, and obviously it's a very disturbing scene, people don't want to see it. But seeing that and then seeing a few specific animals cling to life, I think just you know brought the message home that there's so much going on that the public just isn't even aware about. And they were able to take these birds in. These birds were, um, you know, they were treated by a veterinarian. They were brought to the farm and they, for the first time in their lives, actually get to live the way that chickens should be living. Mm-hmm. Cared for mm-hmm. and loved. So um, I've written about it in the past uh, about this sort of mass culling of animals uh, on farms. We know that because of the COVID-19 pandemic, and also this just happens, um, that there's these depopulation uh, situations where um, mass amounts of animals are killed on the farm. And I actually interviewed your husband, Dr. Jonas Watson, for a piece in Sentient Media about, uh, I think the title is When Gassing Doesn't Work. And that's what we've seen here um, with the, these hens and the past hens, um, because this is, this is a, an accepted and standard practice, right? We are assuming that they were likely gassed or attempted to be gassed on the farm, right? Yeah. What most likely occurred was they were gassed or they had, uh, some sort of foam that was sprayed all over the, all over the barn, the CO2 foam. Um, and there are calls that are going on because of the pandemic. That is true. And there's a lack of demand, but what people don't realize is that there are calls that are happening constantly um, in animal agriculture as a standard industry practice because uh, we're specifically talking about the egg industry here but um, when you have a barn with thousands of hens within it whether it's a free run barn cage free barn or it's a battery cage facility um, these hens are only able to lay eggs for a certain period of time we've manipulated them to be able to lay eggs to lay roughly 350 eggs or so, and that only takes them about a year and a half to do. So even though chickens can live, you know, easily 12 years um, or more, today's modern day laying hen only has enough, um, is laying an egg every single day and is therefore done laying eggs by the time they're a year and a half. And then of course, they're considered a spent hen. That's where that term comes from. Um, And they're no longer profitable. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they start decreasing in egg production, not even when they've completely stopped, but as soon as the entire barn goes down to, let's say, 80% um, of production, it's not profitable for the producer to continue keeping those chickens on and losing money in egg production. What's more profitable is to completely cull the barn and bring in a new batch of hens. And that's what mm-hmm. happens time and time again. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that we haven't even touched on, you know, with a lot of this talk recently about spent laying hens is the fact that the egg industry in itself, um, every single male chick that is born into the egg industry is considered a useless byproduct. So mm-hmm. culling 
day old male chicks, the day that they're hatched is again, another completely standard industry practice and billions and billions of little tiny baby chicks are killed um, across North America and no one's even talking about it. No one's addressing it. So these culls and these massive killings of animals are routine and they're part of allowing the industry to be as big as it possibly can be. That's why we're, you know, killing millions and millions of animals every single day in industrialized agriculture. And the culls are a byproduct of that. And, and people need to realize they can't just they, people need to realize everything that goes on within industrialized agriculture to make those educated decisions. They have to be aware of the good and the bad. And I'm not sure that there's really any good, to be honest. <laughs> hey, I'm with you on that one. So um, Animal Justice has actually filed a cruelty complaint um, after these chickens were found um, because... Although I don't know how many listeners know this, I've written about it, I've said it, Camila, I've said it over and over and over again, that there are no actual laws governing the, governing the daily treatment of animals on farms in Canada. We have the National Farm Animal Care Council, Peter talks about it on this podcast relentlessly, and part of that uh, that code of practice says that when this on-the-farm culling happens, that animals are supposed to be checked for no sign of life. So the fact that this has happened now twice, and that's just what's been found, you know, I mean, how likely is it that this is going on where animals are being left alive more often than just these two times? It actually goes against their own non-law standard practice. Um, So when the the egg farmers of Manitoba issued a statement, they said that they were devastated about this. (laughs) What was your reaction to that? So I think to put things into perspective for people is, you know, these, like you said, these codes of practice are not law. There's nothing legally binding if someone violates them. If anything, it protects the farmers because just like um, in the province of Manitoba, we have the Animal Care Act. And within that Animal Care Act, it specifically says you cannot bring harm onto an animal unless Mm -hmm. it's a procedure that's outlined in the codes of practice. So if anything, it protects producers. It does nothing to, to prosecute them. Um, And I think it's important for people to realize that, you know, just like this barn, let's say there were 5,000 hens in this specific barn that were killed. And again, it's a routine call Um, to, for someone to feasibly go to each and every bird and confirm that that bird has died would take 5,000 minutes, let's say it was one minute per bird, just checking for a heartbeat, checking for life, and you did it really quick, that would take 5,000 minutes from start to finish. And we know that that's just not happening. There's no way that anyone Mm -hmm. can positively say that they are confirming that every single hen has died. And we see that time and time again. It's the same thing with health checks. How can you go into Mm -hmm. a farm that has 5,000 hens in battery cages and walk out and confirm to me, that every single one of those hens is healthy and not suffering in some way when you haven't even looked at them. Mm-hmm. Because how can you assess an animal so quickly? Um, time yeah, is especially the- you with your veterinary background, yeah. you know how long it takes to fully check an animal for their true well-being. So imagine well, exactly. juxtaposing exactly. what you do in a clinic. So you're simply not able to provide that level of care. It's just not being provided. And so there really is no way they can, you know, industry can say that this is what should be happening. And this is, you know, we're going to strive to make sure this is happening, but there's no way you can strive to make that happen. No farm is going to spend 5,000 minutes. I don't even know what that equates to. I'll do the math. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, it's, it's unrealistic. And to say that that's in a code of practice and so that it must be done, it's being done. We all know that, that we all know that that's not the case. But I think uh, at least when these stories come up, um, I know that when I first wrote about the two, that it was difficult to get the story in the media because there was no confirmation from uh, egg farmers or chicken farmers in Manitoba. This time they have acknowledged it, offering the statement. So it was able to get into the media a lot more. And I, I have appreciated the uh, work that the advocates have been doing in saying, this is your free range hen. This is what your ethical quote eggs are coming right. from. How right. ethical does this look to you? So I really, I appreciate the fact that at least these horrific stories give people like you and I the opportunity to really inform the public as much as they listen, that this is just one of many things that happen in the industry that you're not aware of, that you would probably deem completely uh, unethical and totally cruel if you were, if you were made aware of it. Um, so in that case, you know, Pearl didn't die in vain. And yeah. And the other five were just grateful. There's, there's five more, right? That they're all uh, living at different sanctuaries. Yeah, they've kind of been dispersed through different sanctuaries to to live their best lives. And this story, when it broke, you know, became apparent to me quite quickly. Well, it was twofold. One was, I was very, um, I was very happy to see how many people were outraged by the treatment of chickens because, you know, they're historically deemed as lesser beings. They're not yep. treated in the same light as a lot of mammals are. So that was good to see. But it also became evident quite quickly how many people just simply don't know how their food is produced and what goes on in the egg industry. And, and there's so much emphasis and so much propaganda around free run eggs mm-hmm. and cage free eggs. But what people don't realize is that does not equate to, um, a confirmation of good welfare for these birds. Hens can be in these free run facilities and be, you know, packed by the thousands with no ability to roost or forage or go outside. Free run does not mean they get to go outside. And as we've just seen in this case, free range does not equate to good welfare either. In some cases, you can't just guarantee that that's good welfare. And then the last point that I'm going to, to make on this that I think is also important for people is um, buying your carton of eggs at the grocery store or wherever you get them from only only equates to like 3% of all egg production. Okay. So the vast majority of eggs that are coming out of these free run barns and these battery cage barns, those are going into products that already contain eggs, pre-made mm, products. It's a very, very small percentage of eggs that are actually going into the grocery store. So although some, you know, consumers with very good intentions want to try and, and, get ethical eggs, um, the vast majority of eggs are not being produced ethically and they're not going into egg cartons. So you're not actually making an impact um, Mm -hmm. by buying, you know, free run eggs at the, at the, at the supermarket. It's not actually making an impact because the vast majority of eggs are going into things like pastries and anything Mm -hmm. else that contains eggs. And I think people, I think it's just another way to where industry tries to manipulate the public so that they'll keep supporting them. Mm -hmm. Um, by making them think that they're they're doing the right thing, but it's not actually having an effect. That's a really great point. I hadn't uh, I I hadn't heard that stat before, and I hadn't really thought of that before. That that's true. You think you're buying free range eggs out of the carton, but then you go and buy all these other random products with with eggs contained in them, and you have no idea how those eggs were produced. If you think you're an ethical egg buyer, that's a very important point. And well, I, think is, yep. I think it is worth saying that the vast majority of the public wants to do the right thing. They mm-hmm. they genuinely like, especially with this instance with the with the hens, people are outraged. They genu- they genuinely care, and they genuinely want 
to avoid harming animals. I fully believe that. I fully stand by that. But I think they just don't know what's going on. They just don't know. They don't know. Well, in that case, I'm I'm so grateful for you and the work that you're doing through the Humane Society, tapping into the conscience of of animal lovers, dog and cat lovers, and and exposing them to this information that will allow that compassion to spread to all the other animals that deserve um, those dog and cat lovers' attention. Um, so thank you for your work uh, in that regard. Um, I know you're going to continue being very busy. I'm so glad again that you and um, new CEO of the Winnipeg and Humane Society Jessica are working together. Uh, I think big things are going to happen here in this agricultural province of Manitoba. And I hope that the other organizations in Canada continue to inspire you and the rest of us. Um, So thank you so much for your time today, Brittany. Um, Thank you for joining us on the Pond Order podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Heroes and Zeros. So now for everybody's favorite part of the show, Heroes and Zeros. Heroes and Zeros. There, you did it. Good job, Caitlin. Uh, Okay, so this week, our hero, uh, probably no surprise to anyone, is Saks Fifth Avenue. They have uh, added themselves to the growing list of retailers that are banning fur. Uh, So they announced last Wednesday that it will close uh, all of its fur salons by the end of the fiscal 2021 year, and they will phase out all fur products by the end of fiscal 2022. Uh, they, they are joining other department stores such as Macy's, Bloomingdale's, and Nordstrom's in shifting away from selling fur. I think it was just uh, about time and uh, we're grateful for it. It really just adds to this narrative of fur becoming a more controversial product, um, an unnecessary product, an unsustainable product. Uh, and when big wigs like this, big players in the retail game make these decisions, um, I think not only is it effective in you know the, the the supply and demand of fur, but just the optics of having such big uh, designer retailers making this stand. I think it's it's fabulous. Yeah, it's huge. It's awesome. Huge. So thank you to Saks Fifth Avenue for being our hero. And Caitlin, you're taking on our zero this week. All right. So our zero this week goes to the Pest Management Regulatory Agency, which is a branch of Health Canada. And the reason they're getting our zero is that they have um, decided to reject animal justices and wolf awarenesses request to conduct a special review about three predicides that are used in Canada. So uh, by way of background, basically we've got three predicides that are pesticides used to kill predators that are mm. used in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Those are compound 1080, strychnine, and sodium cyanide. Um, and these are really terrible poisons that cause horrific suffering, not only to the animals that are intended to consume them, and that's black bears, wolves, coyotes, skunks, um, but also to animals who then eat the poisoned bodies of those animals. So they cause immense right. destruction throughout uh, ecosystems, um, even you know, veterinary medical associations have spoken out about them. They're considered inhumane. And um, so we submitted uh, requests to the government, to the PMRA, back in December, asking them for a special review of these three pest- pesticides, um, asking them to review them and to then ban their use in Canada. And unfortunately, they've decided not to do that, um, which was pretty disappointing. Um, and it's particularly disappointing because some 
listeners will also remember that um, recently they also announced that they were not going to consider, consider humaneness factors in their review of these pesticides in the mm. future. So that means wow. they will look at the environmental risks and the human health risks and the value of the products, but they're not going to consider the immense suffering that they cause to animals. Now, in my perspective, that's terrible, but even if you just look at them from an environmental standpoint mm-hmm. and a value standpoint, there's still enough evidence to conclude that they shouldn't be used. But you know, it's particularly disappointing to see the agency continuing to move in the wrong direction. Yeah, definitely deserving of the zero this week. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Caitlin, for joining me on uh, this week's edition of the Pawner Podcast. It was so great having you. Uh, I love talking about these Manitoba issues with you and and other things. Uh, I hope you'll come and join me again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me again. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in today. We'd love to ask you to subscribe to the Pod and Order podcast using Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or your other favorite podcatcher. Also, please leave a rating because it helps more people find the show. You can also consider supporting us on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash order if you like what you hear. You can find me on Twitter at, at Peter Sankoff or at my website, petersankoff.com. You can find me on Twitter at Jess L. Reed. And you can find me on Twitter at, at Camille Labchuk, that's L-A-B-C-H-U-K. And we always enjoy Twitter conversations about the show or any other animal law or political topics. And finally, we'd like to thank our producer, Shannon Nickerson. See you next time on Paw and Order. For more great iRaw podcasts, visit iRawPod.com. That's I-R-O-A-R-P-O-D.com. Ow!